We'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We're looking today at verses 1 through 6 and verses 16 through 18. The reason for the omission of verses 7 through 15 is that, Lord willing, we will look at those verses next time uh, with the Lord's Prayer, which kind of as something of a subset within this, this passage as a whole. But today we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 18. We are in the midst of a series of sermons uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And we've completed our study of, of Matthew chapter 5. I think John Stott provides a very helpful outline for thinking of chapter 5. That we think of the Beatitudes uh, where Jesus is concerned to teach about a Christian's character Following that, with the verses on being salt and light, he is instructing us as to a Christian's influence. And then with the passages uh, we've been looking at the last few weeks where Jesus uses the formula, formula, you have heard it said in quotes from the Old Testament, uh, but I say to you, or he's not correcting uh, the Old Testament, of course, but is uh, explaining it as it was meant to be understood in light of its being misunderstood by the people of Jesus' day, uh, those passages concerned with a Christian's righteousness. So if you want to think of chapter 5 in terms of a Christian's character, a Christian's influence, and a Christian's righteousness. Well, here, uh, Jesus in chapter 6 um, goes down a, a similar path, although distinct, where he's talking about a Christian's religion, particularly our devotional practices and uh, what he has to say about that uh, in light of abuses, certainly in Jesus' own day, but abuses that are not unknown to us or to our own hearts in our own day. So let's look then at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Hear the word of God. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let us pray. 
Lord, as we take up the study of your word this morning, we recognize this as your word, that it is not merely the record of man's search for God or his religious experience, but it is in fact your truth that you have revealed to us. And as such, it is accurate, it is true, it is authoritative. And Father, we do not sit in judgment of it, whether or not we will accept it, but it sits in judgment of us and searches and exposes our hearts and calls us to repentance and calls us to receive your grace in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would feed us, feed our souls, equip our minds, warm our hearts with your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you've heard the charge... The church is full of hypocrites. You may have heard it to your face. Uh, Very often, people, particularly Southerners, are simply too polite to say something like that to your face, so they state it in their letters to the editor. The church is full of hypocrites. Now, how you respond to that may depend on how you're feeling. If you're feeling somewhat feisty, maybe having a bad day, You might say something like, well, perhaps that's true, but there's always room for one more. If you're feeling a little more gracious than that, a little more expansive, perhaps didactic, you might explain to them that, yes, Christians hold to a very high standard, but failing to meet a sincerely held and sincerely sought after standard is not the same thing as hypocrisy. However... Any criticism directed toward us is always worth examining because almost inevitably you will find in it some grain, no matter how small, of truth. Is that a valid charge? I'm afraid all too often it might be because it might truly be their experience with Christians or at least with churchgoers, professing Christians perhaps, that they see them attending church and talking one way on Sunday, and they see them living their lives and talking another way on the remaining six days of the week. And like anyone else, they are repulsed by that double standard. They are turned off by what, in that case, they rightly label as hypocrisy. It's nothing new. Hypocrites abounded in Jesus' day as well. And he writes, or rather this is written for us, written down, he spoke to his disciples. uh, And through its being written down, he speaks to us uh, who follow him to instruct us, to warn us that such double standards, such Double behavior, double lives should never be true of us who are God's people. Now, we do well to go back as we read this passage and search our own hearts. Because the question here really, and you probably noticed this as we were reading through it, if you were following carefully, the problem here is not the behaviors. It's really not even who's listening or watching or observing. The question is the heart. The question is, what is my motivation? What am I looking for? Who is my intended audience? 
And really, in that sense, it's no different than what Jesus has been talking about before. We saw in chapter 5 that whereas the scribes and Pharisees had a certain very meticulous righteousness, it was for the most part an outward show. And Jesus said to them and to his disciples about them that, you know, it's not enough simply to have never actually murdered someone. If you hate the person and hold them in contempt in your heart, you are to that degree a murderer in your heart and have violated the commandment. It's not enough that you simply have never actually committed adultery, but to the degree that there is lustful intent in your heart, you are in your heart an adulterer and have violated the seventh commandment. So in the fifth chapter, we are well taught by Jesus that God is concerned with the heart. Back to 1 Samuel 16, man looks at the outward appearance. Sometimes that's at least initially all we can see, but inevitably the heart comes out. God sees the heart. God sees what's going on where people may not be able to see. And that's true in terms of our righteousness, but it's also true in terms of our religion. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. And so... As he's teaching about this, as we think about this, we need to carefully examine, examine carefully our uh, motivation in our religious or devotional activities. That's what this passage is calling us to. Now, let's look at Jesus' warning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. You'll notice there's not a period there. It goes on. In order... To be seen by them. Right there, Jesus is speaking to motivation. What is your purpose? He doesn't say don't practice your righteousness in front of other people. He says don't do it in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, inevitably, people are sometimes going to see. In fact, sometimes we want them to see. Turn back to chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus has talked about being salt and light. Verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Are these in contradiction? No, of course not. Uh, Jesus is there saying that as God's people, we should be evident to the world. The difference that Christ has made in our lives should be seen by others. Uh, We should be living out our faith in the world in such a way that people notice the difference. Not to praise us, but to give glory, as Jesus says, to our Father in heaven. And that should be our intention, our motivation, that people may see the difference in us and give praise to God. And certainly we would want to be quick to give praise to God, to acknowledge his grace in whatever good people might see in us. So, no, these are not in contradiction. The question here is one of motivation, practicing our deeds to be seen by others. In other words, living our Christian life primarily for the purpose of being seen, primarily for the purpose of receiving the, uh, the um, applause of, of other people. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Who is your audience? Are you playing to people or are you playing to God? Are you concerned to impress other people or are you concerned to please God? Now, that's, that's the warning, and it's quite simple. Check your heart, check your motivation, that you're not doing what you're doing for the purpose of winning the applause of others. But then Jesus goes on as he likes to do, to flesh this out in terms of some real-life 
case studies, particularly three case studies that Jesus gives us here where he applies this very thing that we're talking about. Now, the principle isn't limited to these three, but these are three examples or case studies that Jesus gives us to help us see how this should play out in our Christian lives. The first one has to do with Christian giving, verses 2 through 4. Christian giving. Now, you'll notice as we go through this in each of these, Jesus talks first about the way of the hypocrite, and then he talks about the way of the Christian, what should be the way of, of the, the believer, the disciple. Verse 2 is to giving the way of the hypocrite. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Now, whether that literally happens or Jesus is merely using hyperbole here to paint something of a humorous picture of someone coming up to give their offering, you know, have a couple of trumpets fanfaring before them to uh, call attention to what they're doing. It may, may well have happened, uh, but at the very least, it's, it's, a, it's a humorous picture um, of, of drawing attention to oneself, even to the point of trumpets playing a fanfare. Look, see, look what's going on. Uh, that they may be praised by others. You know, as they no doubt dropped uh, their huge offering in with a flourish. Now, remember, Jesus one time was watching people come and give, and there were people who gave substantial amounts, and people were impressed. And then the widow came in with her two mites and dropped them in, and Jesus said she gave more than all the rest because she gave all she had to live on. And she was giving out of devotion. She was giving in faith that God would provide. Uh, And the, the Lord was impressed. Not because of the amount or lack thereof, but because of her heart and her devotion uh, seen in this. Well, perhaps this speaks to that situation. But the point here is that the people were giving with the motivation of, of drawing the adulation, the applause, the praise of all of the witnesses who have been summoned by, by the trumpet. Now, Jesus actually uses the word hypocrite. In Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus was not shy about using that word. But we need to be careful, because again, hypocrisy does not mean failing to meet a standard that we sincerely want to meet. We're human. That's being human. We, we fail to live up to our own standards, and let alone the biblical standards that, that we find in Scripture. Uh, that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy has to do with intent. The word had to do with uh, acting a part, assuming an, an identity other than your own true identity. It had to do with the stage. It had to do with the theater. Now, when we watch a movie, when we go to the theaters, the actors on stage, they are playing someone other than who they are by design. And that's the convention. We accept that. We, we know that. This is an actor. This is not who this person really is. That they are acting out this role for the sake of the stage or the sake of the cinema, whatever it might be. And that's fine and that's expected. The problem is when there are people who are playing a role, who are acting out a part in other areas of life where we look for sincerity, where we look for, uh, for reality, where we look for truth, particularly and nowhere more so than in the church. Uh, and when you have someone who is playing a role, who has put on a mask and is acting a part among a body of Christians, then it is not something to be expected. It is something to be abhorred. It is something, in the case of the person, to be repented of. 
And that's what Jesus is referring to here. He refers to these hypocrites who we would assume have no love for the Lord in their hearts, who have no regard for the kingdom's expanse or spread in the world, but simply want to be seen as generous, simply want the approval and the praise of others. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, which he is a way of saying, listen to this, this is, this is to be caught and not forgotten. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, it worked, right? They got what they wanted. People thought, what a guy, how generous. Let's put his name on a plaque, right? The praise, the, the recognition, the acknowledgement. It's what they wanted. It's what they got. What does Jesus say to us? But when you give to the needy, verse 3, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Now, notice what Jesus is saying here. Certainly what Jesus is saying is that in giving, we are not to try to draw attention to ourselves. Our motivation is not to be the praise of other people. Uh, Certainly not to have trumpets blaring and crowds gathering as we uh, dramatically drop our large offering into the box or the plate or whatever it might be. Now certainly that's true. Our giving is to be done in secret in the sense that it's not something that we are to do to gain the approval, the praise, the recognition of others. That's implied. But that's not even what Jesus actually said. What he said here is that your left hand isn't to know what your right hand is doing. Now, some of you are lefties. My mother's a lefty. Some of you are lefties. And you may be giving with your left hand, so you just have to take Jesus' words and switch them around. Do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. The point is, not even you yourself are really to acknowledge what you are doing. Now, Jesus is not a fool. He knows that you know what you do, and if you give, you keep records, and you you know what you're giving. But Jesus' point is this. We're not even to praise ourselves. We're not even to assume, even though no one else may know, we're not even to ourselves assume about ourselves an attitude of self-congratulations. I like the way that John Stott puts it. He said, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. We basically have three options. One is to seek the praise of men, and that's out. But two is to give in secret even while congratulating ourselves. You know, an inner pat on the back. By what Jesus says here, that's out. The attitude, rather, is simply to give with the motivation of wanting God's approval, seeking God's pleasure in our heart, and as much as possible, forgetting what we've done. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Lutheran pastor who, uh, who died at the hands of the Nazis just before the end of World War II, he said, it's even more pernicious if I turn myself into a spectator of my own prayer performance. I can lay on a very nice show for myself, even in the privacy of my own room. Now, he's talking about prayer, and we're going to talk about prayer in a minute, but I bring it up here because there's this attitude in giving that not even we ourselves should really dwell on what we have done. So not only does Jesus say you're to do it in secret in terms of the eyes of others, but even for you yourself, 
You're not to be giving for your own praise, for your own sense of value, your own self-congratulation, but rather simply out of love for and for the pleasure of your Father in heaven. And Jesus says in verse 4, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You give for his pleasure, you will have his pleasure. Now the reward here is interesting because it's not specified what it is. Certainly God's recognition, God's pleasure, and I think it has overtones of the idea of, 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 uh, of reward in heaven, reward uh, when we are with him, of laying up treasures for ourselves, as Jesus speaks of in other places. So that's the first case study. It has to do with giving, Christian giving. The second one now has to do with Christian prayer. Let's look at that. Verses 5 uh, and 6. When you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, again, notice, it's not a bad thing to pray, right? We ought to pray. They love to stand, and there's nothing wrong with standing. That was the accepted posture for prayer in that day. Uh, We think of kneeling, which is certainly a good posture for prayer. Sitting's fine, but they would often stand as as they prayed. Nothing wrong with that. Certainly nothing wrong with standing and praying in the synagogues. That's where they gathered for teaching, for worship. Uh, And actually nothing wrong with standing and praying on street corners, taking your faith out into the world, into the uh, ins and outs of your daily life. What is wrong here, again, has to do with their motivation, that they may be seen by others. And if that's the motivation, it's wrong wherever you are. The synagogue, the street corner, standing, kneeling, sitting, whatever, it's all wrong. Again, it's the question of motivation. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Again, they want to be seen by others. Well, others have seen them, and uh, they got what they wanted. They've been noticed. They've been recognized. They got the applause of men. But the way of the Christian, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room Shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now, there's something that's assumed here, and that is that you pray. Prayer is uh, an integral part of the Christian life. It is vital to our growth as Christians. It is part of the Christian life. The assumption here is that you pray. I think what is implied here is perhaps that the, uh, the hypocrites of whom Jesus spoke didn't pray unless somebody was watching. You know, as it's been said, it's no fun being humble when no one notices. Well, sometimes it's no fun praying if no one notices because prayer is hard work. This kind of prayer, Jesus is go in your room. And more than that, go into your room and close the door. Get alone. Be, be in, in secret and pray to your Father who is in secret. Just as God is not seen, you should get where you're not seen to spend time alone with God. And we read that Jesus did that. Jesus, uh, we read it, read it in Mark, in Mark 1, that Jesus got up before dawn and went out to a quiet place and spent time in prayer. Jesus went away. He got away from the crowds, away from his disciples to spend time with his heavenly Father. And that's the pattern for us as well. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He'll reward you by hearing your prayer, by communing with you. Uh, And notice, too, though, that this does not rule out public prayer. 
It doesn't say you can't pray in public. It does say you can't pray for the purpose of being seen by others. Now, you may feel a tension there because when you pray with other people around, you may be very conscious conscious of those people. And you may um, struggle as you think about what you're going to pray, what people might think. You have to work through that. You're praying to God, not to them. And yes, they're hearing you, but your purpose isn't to please them with flowery language or profound thoughts or multi-syllable theological terms. Your purpose is to pray to God and that they join with you in praying along with you as you pray. Now, I know from experience praying in this pulpit every week, in the pastoral prayer, that it is a temptation sometimes to be concerned what people think, but sometimes praying in public, I will confess to you, I sometimes forget you're there and I have to be careful that I don't go off praying about things that really don't need to be prayed about in the pulpit in front of you. So it can go both ways. But uh, the, the bigger temptation here is to be conscious of people, to play to people. And we have to resist that because that's what Jesus is speaking about here. He doesn't rule out praying together, praying publicly, praying with other people. Again, who's your audience? Where is your heart? The third case study that Jesus uses here is in verses 16 and uh, 17 and 18, and it has to do with Christian fasting. Now, so far, we've been tracking along giving, good with that, praying, know all about that. Fasting? Isn't that the kind of thing that monks would do, you know, the kind that would commit themselves to living on top of a pillar in isolation, have to carry their food up in a basket? There were some who did that. Uh, It it brings up uh, ideas of asceticism of uh, self-punishment. But, of course, genuine biblical fasting is not about that. Uh, Fasting, of course, is is abstaining from food for a period of time, for a meal, for a day or longer. On an absolute fast, you really don't eat anything, drink nothing but water. You do have to have water, drinking water. Um, Maybe partial fasts, uh, drinking fruit juices or something like that. And it's uh, John Piper's Hunger, Hunger, Hunger for God is a good book on fasting, and there are others. But it's almost fallen out of use. But in the scriptures, fasting was assumed. It was a common practice. Uh, one of the primary purposes in fasting was to humble ourselves before God in contrition over sin or, con- uh, or individually or corporately as a group, uh, but to express contrition, to express repentance. You find that in the Old Testament. Uh, to seek God's help. Uh, along with prayer, emphasizing our dependence, our need of God's help. Jesus fasted and prayed before he chose the disciples. Uh, the church in Antioch fasted and prayed before they sent Paul and Barnabas out on their missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas fasted and prayed before they appointed elders in the churches that they planted. So seeking God's help, it's a way of sort of adding an exclamation point to the prayer. It's not to manipulate God. It's not some magic thing. Well, I fasted. God's got to do what I say. Of course not. But it is a way of adding urgency to our to our prayers. Uh, it's also a way of exercising self-control. It's a way of emphasizing uh, that ultimately our life is in Christ alone, uh, even over the pangs of hunger that we might feel. Well, Jesus says, not if you fast, but when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Making it obvious that they're fasting. Why? So others will look at them and think, 
My, what a holy person. What a holy man. What a godly woman. Wish I could be like that. And they are lapping it up. Because their goal, their motivation, is not to seek God. It's not to have fellowship with God. It's not to impress their urgency to God. It's to get the applause, the approval of those around them. And again, truly I say to you, they've received their reward. If you want the approval of people, it's very easy to get. And even these hypocrites got what they wanted, to be noticed and applauded by others. That's what they want. That's what they get. Get nothing from God, but they got what they wanted, which was the approval of other people. But Jesus says to us, verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who's in secret. In other words, go on and dress yourself and make yourself look like you normally do. Go on about your business as you normally would so that you're not calling attention to yourself, so that you're not trying to make this obvious to others, because your father sees, your father hears the growling of your stomach. He knows And that's enough. And that's the one whose attention we want. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Biblical fasting was God-directed. The purpose was to cry out to God, not only with our heart or mind, but with our body itself. And God was to be the audience. And if that's how we practice fasting, as praying and giving, then God notices. God pays attention. Other people may not know, and that's how it should be. Now, maybe somebody, your husband or wife, may wonder why you're not eating. They may need to know, but again, the purpose is not to win the approval of others. And the motivation, the heart, is what Jesus is addressing here. So three areas Jesus addresses certainly could be others. Giving, praying, fasting. Ultimately, the question is not who knows or doesn't know. The question is, what's your purpose? What's your motivation? Who's your audience? Who are you playing to, people or God? Who are you seeking? Who are you trying to please, people or God? It really comes down to the heart. If you're just playing to impress other people, fellow church members, co-workers, classmates, your parents, you have their approval. You have their applause. You get what you want. That's easy enough. But you don't have God's. You see, Christ, as he's taught us in chapter 5 and continues to teach us here in chapter 6, Christ wants your heart. He wants reality. He wants your obedience. He wants your service. He wants your devotion. And here's the test. Even when no one else is watching. That's the test of a heart for God. Willing to give generously in secret willing to pray fervently in secret, willing to fast and go unnoticed. Is that your heart? Do you want the approval of men or the approval of God? Let's pray. Lord God, may it be that we could go completely unnoticed by the world. If only we might have your attention. If only we might have your pleasure. If only we might have an audience with you. Lord, we've all been hypocrites in this way. And we confess it. And we plead the blood of Jesus. And we ask you to forgive us. But we pray, O God, we pray that our acts of devotion, whatever they might be, 
a religious activity would not be to win the notice, to win the approval, to win the applause of others, but that our heart would be for you and you alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.